Welcome to Entrepreneur Decoded, the show which reveals the habits, fears, failures, and joys of today's most inspiring and successful entrepreneurs seven days a week. Now, here's your host, Simon Sander. Welcome to the show. My name is Simon, and it's time to chat with today's future guest, John Spence. Welcome. Thank you so much, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. John is an author, business management consultant, executive trainer, and speaker with a client's list from Fortune 100 to small businesses and other organizations around the globe. John, take a minute to fill in some gaps from the intro and give us a little glimpse to your personal life. Oh, well, if you're going to go all the way back to personal, the, the I guess the interesting part of the story for me was I failed out of college on the first try. Uh, had to go to a community college, another college, another university. Graduated number three in the United States in my major on the second try. Uh, got hired right away to go work for the Rockefeller family at one of their private foundations. Uh, was named CEO when I was 26. Had uh, projects in 20 countries around the world. Stayed there for a few years. Then I went over to take over as CEO for a uh, training and development firm, a strategy firm. And left there two years later, and I've been a serial entrepreneur since then. I do a, as you mentioned, I'm I'm on the road about 200 days a year all over the world, doing speeches and training and helping businesses be more successful. But I've also been the owner or CEO of seven companies, uh, five of which, four of which I started. So, uh, sort of run the whole spectrum there, Simon. God, 200 days on the road. I want to get back to that in a second, but right now I'm going to ask. A question. As an entrepreneur, John, what is the one thing that you do that you feel has been the biggest contributor to your successes so far? I read about 100 to 120 business books a year, and I have every year since 1989. Single biggest important thing that's helped me be successful. How do you find time for that? That's really time-consuming, but definitely a really good thing to do. Well, you mentioned it earlier, 200 days a year on the road. I read on airplanes and airports and hotels. Plus, I don't watch TV. I didn't own a TV for about a decade. And, uh, it's, and also remember, it's part of my job. So, and I, when I, I read very fast and because I've read so many books, I don't have to read the entire book. So I'll, out of a 300 page book, I may only read 150, 200 pages because they'll put in stories that I've read before. Here's the story of Jack Welsh at GE. Well, I, I know Jack <laughs> Welsh. I was there. I don't need to read the story again. Interesting. So how do you retain all that information? Because at least for me, when I read a book or two a week, it kind of all mixes to mixes together, you know? Is that something you struggle with? Yeah, yeah. I struggle with that, and I use a couple of different techniques. Uh, when I'm reading a book, I, I do a lot of underlining. Uh, if it's, if it's a, a book I hold in my hand, I write notes in the margins and stuff, and I've got all these little codes like a pound sign means numbers and a big Q means quote. Uh, so I'm making notes and underlining. If the book is really good, I go back immediately and I read my highlighting into my computer using uh, voice recognition software. So I adjust the highlighting in there. Then I will um, go back and clean that up. And if it's a really, really good book, I will, once I've cleaned it all up, I will read that into a, a recorder and listen to it in my car. Uh, I also listen to a lot of audiobooks and uh, do a lot of other stuff. And I, I journal and I make notes. So I'll summarize things and I keep pages. Uh, I can usually summarize a 280-page book down to about four pages. John, I know you hate the following question, but if you could recommend one or two books for the audience. Well, it depends on what you'd want them to learn, Simon. I mean, if you if you look at entrepreneurship and starting a business, I think uh, 
the two books by Vern Harnish, uh, Rockefeller Habits and Scale, Scaling Up are both excellent. Um, if you wanted a great book on leadership, my very favorite serious book on leadership is called The Truth About Leadership by Kuzis and Posner. But I just read a really good, easy book on leadership called Leadership Lessons uh, from a UPS Driver. It was excellent, excellent. And, and uh, from a customer service standpoint, pretty much anything that Joseph Michelli, Dr. Joseph Michelli wrote, he wrote The New Gold Standard and a few other books. But I, I've got a list, if you go to my website for any of your listeners, johnspence.com, under the resources button, I have a list there of the top 60 business books or so I've ever read. John, I want you to look back on your journey as an entrepreneur, and you have a really interesting story. Why did you become an entrepreneur in the first place? Um, the, the main thing was uh, I knew I could run companies because uh, I was running that big company was in my mid-20s. Uh, I could make the decisions. I had some of the business knowledge. And then when I went to work for the gentleman that owned the big training development strategy firm, I realized that uh, I was basically running the company for him and he was taking all of the money. Uh, we were He was making millions and millions of dollars a year. And I was making a lot of money for somebody in their 30s. But I looked at it and said, I'm making this guy really, really rich and I'm doing all the work. Why in the world am I working for him? And I had always been interested in business. I mean, while I was working at the Rockefeller Foundation, I owned a, a small ceramics company and a humidor company. And because I see business as a fun game. And if you can play the game and you can play it well, it can be enjoyable and you can make money at it too. Yeah, business is a fun game as a passion. Uh, you've already shared us the good part of your journey as an entrepreneur. Let's talk about the worst entrepreneurial moment. Do you have a story which really shaped your life when you learned from failures? Well, you know, it's, it, it's very tied together. The biggest failure, and I've had a couple, I've had two companies fail. Neither, not, neither one of them drove me into bankruptcy or anything. They just didn't turn out the way I hoped they would, and I shut them down before it cost me any money. But really, the biggest entrepreneurial failure was uh, the, when I was working for the big training firm, I took a one-month vacation to Australia with my wife. And when I came back, the owner of the company said, no one your age has earned the right to take a one-month vacation. You're lazy. And that's when I looked up and said, I quit. And my failure was I had no plan. I had no plan B. So I went from running a large company and making a good salary to being unemployed the next day. And I realized that if you're going to be an entrepreneur, uh, you, you can take risks, but that's too big of a risk. I should have had a plan. Uh, I should have had some backup. But it took me a good solid year to really get my consulting work going. So I damn near ran out of money uh, right before I got my first big contract. And that was a, that was a near uh, fatal failure. Let's talk about that first year when you tried to make it. Uh, how challenging was that for you, John? Unbelievably challenging. I, I, uh, I didn't really have a focus on exactly what I wanted to do. I knew that I had some skill areas around sales, leadership, teamwork, things like that. But I did not have any major contracts. So what I had to do is, was hustle my butt off. I called friends and said, can I help your company for free? If I do a good job, will you tell other people? I accepted speeches at the Rotary Club and the local business club and anybody that would let me go talk. I was sending out letters, making phone calls. I mean, I really, really, really had to work hard to get the first couple clients. And then the interesting thing is once I got one or two marquee clients, uh, Merrill Lynch was one of my first clients, uh, that rolled over and turned into something big. Then it got up there. But for that first, I'll actually say for the first three years, it was tough, really tough. Now, 
I've been doing this 22 years. I'm booked about a year and a half out in front, maybe two years with clients that want me, you know, to 2018 right now. So a little bit different. If you look back on that first year, what are the mistakes you made and something you could have avoided? The mistake I made was thinking that sending letters and leaving voicemails and things like that would get me in the door with key decision makers. I realized that there was only two ways to get in front of them. Uh, a very warm lead where someone who knew them well picked up the phone and called them and said, you need to meet with John Spence. He can help you. Uh, so I, they were sort of already predisposed to trust me, which is the best way. And the second way was to get in front of them at other events, conferences, meetings, things they were going to, and get up and give a speech or do some training to prove that I could deliver value. No matter how much I jumped up and down about it, no matter how eloquent my emails or letters or brochures were, there was thousands of other people literally offering the exact same services. And the only way was to create a personal relationship backed up with a tremendous amount of competence. Couldn't do it just on relationship alone, not just because we're friends. I had to, had to meet the people and then prove to them I could bring them a huge ROI. John, you talk about focusing. How far ahead you look? I look about, you know, it used to be five to 10 years. I do a lot of strategic planning for companies as well. Now, uh, only three years and even that's stretching it. Technology's changing so fast. Things are moving. Markets are moving quickly. Global, you know, the global economy is totally interconnected and I work all over the world. So looking at about 18 to 36 months is about as far out as I can look on major strategies because uh, they just change too fast. What are some of the first steps you examine uh, when you work with clients because you work with some of the best and well-known people in the industry? Uh, the number one thing I look for is that I can deliver specifically what they want. If I, I'll use a sports analogy. Let me see. Uh, I'll try to use a soccer one. That's more European. Uh, if I know that, that on the penalty kick, I can't hit get it in the goal, I'm not going to take the kick. I'm going to get somebody else to take it. Or, I, I mean, I only take assignments when I absolutely know I can blow them away. So I do a lot of interviewing. I send surveys. I meet with the senior executives. I ask a ton of questions. And once I feel like I understand what they need, I understand what they want, and I can, on a scale of 1 to 10, I can deliver this at about a 15, then I'll accept the work. Otherwise, I refer it away to one of my colleagues or friends. When it comes to business, John, what is something that is really working for you right now? Uh, two things. Uh, top talent, surrounding myself with the best people I can possibly get, and being very, very close to my customers. Uh, one of the things I teach in my classes is that for many, most companies today, two of the only sustainable competitive differentiators they have is the quality of the people they can get grow and keep on their team and their relationships with their customers. So since I teach it, I follow it very carefully myself. Surround yourself with top talent. Could you expand on that a bit? Yeah. And, and you know, for an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, it doesn't have to be somebody that's on your team that you're paying. It can be your colleagues. It can be your mastermind group. It can be people in your community. Uh, but in all the companies I've owned or run, I've realized that it's my employees that make the company successful. If I get the best people, they're engaged. I take good care of them. I, I've got a great quote that's, uh, that I love. It's called, uh, the customer's experience will never exceed the employee's experience. So if I can hire people that are smarter than me, have great skills, are talented, highly engaged, love taking care of the customer, delivering excellent work, 
I know that at the end of the day, my organization will be doing extremely well. What are some practical tips and advice uh, to leverage that kind of relationship? So I just read a book uh, named Delivering Happiness, and I think that's something similar you're talking about. Yeah, that's by uh, Tony Shea from uh, Zappos. Yeah. Yeah, the, the key around that is building a culture of engagement. Uh, and there's six things that top talent looks for when they go to a company. I, I did a survey of about 10,000 high potential employees at top companies around the world, Apple, Microsoft, folks like that. And they said there's six things I want in a company I work for. Number one is fair pay, not the highest pay, just fair. And they defined fair as 10% above or below what they would make to do the same job anyplace else. So as long as you get parity on pay, that comes off the table. Next one was I want challenging, meaningful work. I want to do something that energizes me, engages me, I'm excited about. It makes a difference. I get up in the morning looking forward to go and doing my work. Uh, number three was cool colleagues. A players only want to play with other A players. So I want to be surrounded with fun, smart, bright, high integrity, innovative people that challenge me too. Uh, the next one was winning culture. I want to go to a place that's fun, got a family atmosphere. We enjoy working together. I take pride in the organization. I'm treated fairly. I'm praised a lot. A lot of the key factors and the, the best way to tell if you've got a great corporate culture is do people smile just as much when they come to work as when they leave? If they are, then you've got a good culture. The next one was personal and professional growth. Uh, and here's what they told me. I need to know that the company is investing in me, that I'm getting training, coaching, a mentor, support, help, that I'm always growing, increasing my knowledge, increasing my skills. And I need to be able to look up and know that there's a place for me in this company five to seven years in the future. If I'm not learning anything and I don't see a career path, good people at least have options, they'll leave. And then the last one, which actually isn't the last, it's the first, but the most important, which is I work for a leader I respect and admire. Those are the six factors that will bring in the very, very best people. I think this was a great breakdown. There's so many different factors. If you had to choose one, what is most important to you, John? Well, it's not me. It's the, it's the 10,000 folks I asked, and they said it's work for a leader I respect and admire. 88% of people that quit their job don't quit the job, the hours, the pay, the workload, they quit their boss. The reverse is the best people, even if you don't get all the other five really, really well, but if they work for somebody they really admire, they respect someone who's passionate, someone who can get them motivated, that is the single most important factor in keeping or losing top talent. Let's talk about motivation, John. What keeps you motivated day in and day out when you don't see results right away? Oh, it's easy. I, I, I've got a very clear life purpose. Uh, I've dedicated myself to helping businesses and people be more successful. So every day that I can contribute, help someone, offer value, help them not help them succeed or not fail. And I know I'm doing that daily by doing the things. I'm motivated every day to help people. It's uh, There's an old Zig Ziglar quote, which says, if you just help enough other people get what they want, you'll get everything you want. I'm a huge fan of Offer value, help, 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 help everybody, and in the end, everything will work out fine for you. John, do you take care of yourself as well? You said you travel 200 days out of a year. Uh, do you ever feel that you uh, are close to burning out? Oh, gosh, no. not the. Uh, I, there's two things for that. A is I love what I do, so it doesn't feel like work. It can be stressful sometimes if I'm giving a speech to 10,000 people or something like that. Um, but I love what I do. I also very careful. I might be on the road 200 days a year, but we, my wife and I travel together. We don't have kids. She's in the business with me. 
she travels with me about 60% of the time to all the really cool places. And we always make sure we add a couple of days on the front and a couple of days on the end of every business trip to just go relax, enjoy, go fishing, go to the museum. So I might not be at home, but when we travel, we don't stay in hotels. When we travel together, we rent an apartment or a house and we cook together in the evenings. And I'll usually, let's say I'm going to New Zealand, I'll fly in two or three days early, get acclimated take it easy, do work for two weeks, and then stay a week to go fishing, then fly off to the next place. So I assume it would be really different if you would travel alone all the time. Oh, it would be very different. Um, I do travel alone a fair amount, and but I've been doing this since uh, the day I graduated from college. My very, first tri- my very first job had me on the road 100 days. The next one was 150, 170. So I'm used to it. It's the only life I've ever known. I'm sure for many, many people, though, it would be extremely challenging. I mean, it's it's a life decision uh, to do this. One of the things my wife and I decided not to have kids because of our travel schedule. We didn't, neither one of us really wanted kids per se, but we decided that if we were going to live this lifestyle, fly all over the world, travel like we do, uh, own companies, that it would be selfish to live that kind of a life with children. So we decided not to have children, so we weren't being selfish with anyone that didn't exist. <laughs> let's come to present day. Let's talk about daily routines and daily uh, rituals. Even though you're on the road 200 days out of a year, um, is every day different or uh, do you have some kind of system you follow really strictly? When I'm on the road, I have a system I follow really strictly. I'm up usually by 5.30 or 6 in the morning. Uh, I go get the same breakfast every day. Uh very healthy, light couple of eggs, a sausage patty, and some toast. So I eat very bland, very light. Um, I typically will will get to my speech or my workshop an hour before I'm supposed to be there. I've prepared the whole way. Uh, I have a very, very light lunch power bar or something like that and work on my stuff while my students are doing other things. Then I usually took, take myself to a nice healthy dinner in the evening and try to get to bed by 9 or 10. Now the reverse is when I'm home – I sleep in until I wake up, which is usually around nine. Um, I own a, a house about seven miles from my regular home. That's my office. It's a three-bedroom house. I'm sitting in it right now. I've got about 2,500 business books here. I've got a full soundproof studio that I shoot videos in. And uh, I'll come here and I work all day by myself. My wife works out of our home. And uh, I go home early in the evening so I can see the sunset every evening, have a glass of wine, walk around the yard, play with my dog, barbecue, take it easy. But here's the deal. When I'm home, I typically work seven days a week and so does my wife. So what we do is we work until we're so tired we can't stand it. Then we vacation until we're so bored we can't stand it. So I don't go like the normal weekend. I'll go five or six weeks straight without a day off per se. But then we'll take two weeks to go fly fishing together or two weeks to go down to the Keys to the Bahamas or something. How about habits, uh, John? Are you a fan of habits? And could you recommend one that uh, really stands out to you? Well, um, habits, yes. I mean, obviously, the habit of reading I have is one that really stands out. But it was an interesting thing that I've heard about a few people. And one of the things I do is I've got routines. I eat the same thing for breakfast. I wear the same sort of outfits when I train, all those sort of stuff. And the reason for that is decision fatigue. Uh, I don't, there's, there anything that isn't necessary for me to make a decision in my business. I don't touch it. I don't look at my calendar. I, I don't deal with any of that stuff. Um, I don't mow my lawn or clean my clothes, not because I'm lazy, but because I allow other people to do that. 
um, that I can pay at a lower rate while I'm doing work that will generate a higher level of revenue. So I'm very disciplined about how I spend my time, who I spend my time with. And I have a very clear routine around making sure that everything I do either helps my health, my business, my family, or it's fun. And if it doesn't meet one of those criteria, I just say no and don't do it. John, what is one thing you are most excited about today? I'm really, really excited about the opportunity to take my content and move it online. Uh, traveling as much as I do, I don't have a lot of extra time to quote unquote sell. So I'm very excited about online training, video delivery. It's the reason I've built a full studio here in my office is uh, I understand that if I'm giving a speech, even if there's five or 10,000 people, I can only be one place at a time. But if I take the 20 years of content I've created and put it on a platform, I can be all over the world at the same time for two reasons. A, I can help a ton of people all over the world. And B, it's a nice way to build a significant amount of passive income. You've been so generous with your time. I want to wrap today's talk up with the topic happiness. Uh, what brings you joy and really makes you happy in this life, John? Being with my wife uh, and then fly fishing and hanging out with my dog. My wife and I are fanatic fly fishers. Uh, and I think the reason we love it is uh, the fish don't hang out in ugly places. We're up in the mountains in New Zealand. Uh, we use a helicopter to, to travel to go fish in New Zealand. So it's a, it's a really magical, fun thing to be out there in nature, having fun. And the nice thing about fly fishing is you can't think about anything else. You're standing in a river, water's running, the rocks are slippery, you're trying to cast. There is no way you can worry about your business or a client without falling in the water. And I'd prefer not to fall in the water. It's beautiful. Uh, let's end today's show with a parting piece of guidance from you and the best way to connect with you. Okay, what I'll do share with you is the single most important thing I've ever learned in my life. I did a TED Talk, and this is what it was on, and here it is. You become what you focus on and like the people you spend time with. Whatever you read, whatever you study, whatever you learn, whatever you're filling your brain with and whoever you choose to spend your time with will directly determine what your life looks like a decade from now. And so that's the key thing. What am I focused on? Who am I spending time with? And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, uh, my website is johnspence.com. And I've got a lot of free resources and videos and things like there. And if you want to send me a question, you need some help. My email is john at johnspence.com. And I'm always happy to offer assistance and advice if I can be of service in any way. Thank you for coming in, John Spence. My pleasure, Simon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.